Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 47. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came on to each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Prygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God nailed him, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the death, the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah and that he was not abandoned by the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, 
Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I always worry that um, when you've got the guest preacher, like, how long is this guy going to preach for? Can I trust this guy? To... Don't worry, it will be less than 30 minutes, I promise you. Uh, my name's Luke Hansard. I work with the Focus Ministry down in Hobart. It's an evangelistic ministry to international students. You partner with Focus through your partnering with Yumin. She's gone from you to us to do the work of an evangelist down there, especially amongst mainland Chinese students. And she's doing great. Uh, she, she has the, the fire in her of an evangelist and is always so eager for opportunities to talk to these guys who normally would never have a chance to hear about Jesus. About Jesus. Uh, she meets with them one-to-one, seeking to meet with them in small groups too. And uh, as we look into... Right now, we're between semesters, so we're looking into semester two. Really excited about what God might do through her um, and excited what God might do as it seems like more international students are, um, are joining us each semester. Maybe we'll return to pre-COVID levels soon. Who knows? But please keep praying for Yumin. Um, you, pr- you, you support her financially through your missions committee. If you individually would like to support her, she's got about half the support that we'd like her to have. And so if you can't be keen to personally support her, uh, you can perhaps contact her directly or, or talk to Steve or to me and we can put you in touch. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not far off Uh, You didn't create us and and then leave us to figure things out. We thank you that you are the God who speaks. You want us to know you. You want us to live for you and love you and and so live wonderful, fruitful, abundant lives in your world. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your spirit. We pray for the work of your word and spirit now. And we pray it for the glory of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sorry about the puffer jacket. It's, it's a bit, nothing personal. I, it's just cold, isn't it? It's winter. The older I get, the harder it, it gets to get through the Tassie winter. Uh, I'm a gardener. Any, anyone here into vegetable gardening? Any vegetable gardeners? Not professional, you know, just have a bit of a dabble with the vegetables. Um, for us vegetable gardeners, gardeners, it's a little bit depressing. Maybe it's restful. Uh, just everything's growing so slowly, except the weeds. They somehow keep, 
keep going. Um, it's a pretty boring time in the garden, or a quiet time in the garden, unless, unless you've heard of green manure. Do you know about green manure? You plant that at the, sort of at the end of uh, autumn, and then that, that, that does its thing through winter. Uh, you don't harvest anything from it, you just dig it back into your soil and it, it, it enriches your soil. So if you're, if you're into your gardening, I recommend the green manure as a way to make winter gardening a bit more exciting. Uh, the mix often has ryegrass and lupins and peas and mustard seeds. Now, the first time, years ago, I ever used green manure, uh, I was really curious about the mustard seeds. Have you ever thought about mustard seeds? You probably cook with them. Um, but do you remember what Jesus said about mustard seeds and the growth of his community in Mark 4, verse 30? He said, with what can I compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when grown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet it, when sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So you can understand why I kept a close eye on my green manure the first time I used it, expecting I might have to deal with a forest come spring. <laughs> uh, well, according, according to Scripture, according uh, to the Bible, um, we see in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 what Jesus was really on about. Uh, we see the, the little mustard seed of the kingdom of God, which was reduced right down to its king and his 11 apostles at the end of Luke. Uh, in the book of Acts, and especially Acts 2, we see that mustard seed really start to grow. Now, before we can get into Acts chapter 2, let's give it a, a bit of context from Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, you'll find the purpose of Acts. We find that Luke continues on from his first volume, the book of Acts, uh, it's all that Jesus continues to do and teach by his spirit through his word. In Acts chapter 1, we find the program of Acts, that the Father will send the Spirit through the Son, who would empower people to speak his word from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, we see the preparation of Acts uh, as the disciples return to Jerusalem, have a time of praying and find a replacement for the 12th apostle, for Judas. So that at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 1, the disciples, they're ready, they're waiting for today's event, for Acts chapter 2. Okay, here we go. Get into it now. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2 under the headings of the event, the explanation, and the effect. The event, the explanation, and the effect. So firstly, let's look at the event. This is in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. We're going to fly through this, and so it might help you to keep engaged if you've got the Bible open and you're, you're um, glancing, glancing through the verses. So the event, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. What happened? Well, it's 50 days after the Passover, and so it's 10 days after Jesus ascended and returned to God the Father. It's the day of Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks or the Day of the uh, First Fruits. It's a major festival for the Jews, um, celebrating the harvest that God had given them. The city of Jerusalem, imagine it, looks like the Launceston Harvest Market. There you go, a bit of contextualization there. Um, Jews from everywhere. Some of the places are mentioned in verses 9 to 11, aren't they? The 120 
are in a room in the thick of it, in the thick of the crowd. Think of them in one of those white flappy tents there at the Launceston Harvest Market. And suddenly, God gives a sound. It's wind. And a sight. It's fire. Verse 3. The wind and fire show the power and the presence of God. They remind God's people of the big moments in God's story, like when God brought life to humans through breath in Genesis 2, like when the fire of God brought God's words to Moses through a bush in Exodus 3, when he met his people in the fire of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. But I think the historical event most similar to this event is in 1 Kings 19, where God sends wind and fire to the prophet Elijah and then sends his word so that Elijah could continue his work, which is what we see next. Verse 4, the 120 disciples declare the wonders of God in many languages. Tongues is a confusing word, better translated languages. In verse 8, they're called native languages. In verse 9, we have a list of them. They're speaking human languages. Nothing amazing in that. What's amazing in verse 7 is that suddenly the disciples start speaking these languages, which they've never learned or spoken before and will never speak again unless they enrol in the language class. Suddenly they can, for a time, speak them fluently. The people walking by the place hear their loud proclamation and, oh, it's in their native language. And, oh, it's declaring the wonders of God in Jesus, verse 11. And so they stop and they have a listen and they hear the good news of Jesus. And so they are, verse 6, the crowd are bewildered. They're bewildered. Amazed, verse 7. Amazed, verse 12. Perplexed. How, verse 8. What, verse 12. What does this mean? Now, do you feel the same if this is your first time to read this? What is this? There's a lot of this what language in the book of Acts. What? How? Why? And perhaps it's because Luke, the, the writer, suspects his listener, his readers rather, will have these same sort of questions. What? Next chapter they'll be saying, what? Over the healing of a beggar. Most are confused, although some come to their own conclusion, don't they? A little bit funny. Verse 13, they're drunk. Most, if not all, stick around and listen to Peter, backed by the 11 other apostles as he gives an explanation to the crowd. Now, this is not the whole sermon. Verse 40 tells us he spoke many other words of warning and plea. This is the heart of the message. And so we move to the explanation. This is chapter 2, verses 14 to 40. Peter stops speaking in his unlearned language and speaks in the common language of Jerusalem so that everyone at the same time hearing the same words can clearly understand that God has poured out his spirit. God's poured out his spirit as he said he would. God, through the prophet Joel, promised this day would come 800 years before. You can see the prophecy in verses 17 to 21. Until now, God has only poured out his spirit on certain leaders with special roles. Until now, God has only given himself in a special way to certain leaders with a special role. But here now, the day of Pentecost, God begins pouring out his spirit on all people, which means it's the last days before the last day. Joel teaches uh, that the coming of the spirit like this is the beginning of the end. 
He explains that when the Spirit comes on all God's people, they will speak God's word like prophets. They'll know what God's doing as someone might after a vision or a dream from God. And that when the Spirit comes, he will bring the beginning of the end, the last days before the last day. On the last day, Jesus returns in judgment. Jesus will come back the same way they saw him go, as he said in chapter 1. Here we learn he comes to judge. The symbols of blood and fire and smoke and darkness and a blood moon communicate creation undone, things back into chaos, judgment for those who reject Jesus. Ah, That's not the full story, though, is it? Verse 21, but for all who call on the name of the Lord, well, they they'll be saved. The day of salvation. Jesus will bring salvation, verse 21, to anyone who calls on him. They will be saved and safe from all that darkness and disorder and brought into the light and the order of the new creation with the glorious Lord Jesus. For God did what he promised. He handed over, raised And exalted Jesus. God did what he promised. He handed over, raised, and exalted Jesus. In verse 22 and following, uh, Peter gets really confrontational, doesn't he? And condemning. You know, verse 22, Jesus did signs and wonders. It accredited him. It showed that he was God's man. Verse 23, but you crucified him. Verse 36, you crucified him. You decided to kill God's man. And yet, While they freely chose this way, they did it. They were also doing what God had planned and promised. We're in verse 23. It was God's purpose that Jesus would die. And verse 30, it was God's promise that he would be raised and raised. Verses 25 to 28, we see he was raised to life and exaltation as promised in Psalm 16. In verses 34 to 35, God said that he would be raised to rule over his enemies in Psalm 110. The ones who've killed Jesus, actually anyone who rejects Jesus will still one day have to come under his authority. Every knee will bow, some willingly and others unwillingly, as defeated enemies. In verse 36, God the Father has given Jesus the Son this position and power, given it to him, which is a bit strange, don't you think? Hasn't Jesus always had this power and authority? How can the Father give it to him? Yeah, as God, he has, but as the God-man, he's never had this power and authority. I mean, there's never been a human ruling over all as Lord and Christ before this time. But now, the dust of the earth is on the throne of heaven. For the first time ever, we have a human on the throne of God as Lord and Christ. And so, with this God, man, Lord, and Christ Jesus, he's able to pour out this Holy Spirit. Well, the confrontational and condemning speech is also convincing, isn't it? The listeners feel cut to the heart, convicted of sin. What should we do? How can we fix this? Well, they can't fix this, but Jesus can. Verse 38, the people should repent. Turn and be baptized, and they'll be forgiven, and given the Holy Spirit. Be forgiven of killing the Christ and all of the other sins that you've done, 
and receive the Holy Spirit, which in context means speaking God's word like a prophet, knowing God's ways like a dreamer, empowered to go out into the world with the word of the witnesses, the good news of the kingdom of God. Because this message is not just for the crowd gathered around the apostles. But verse 39, the far-off generations and people, for you and for me. Anyone who calls on the Lord Jesus and anyone our Lord Jesus will call. Okay. Having looked at the event and the explanation, we now move to look at the effect. And now we're in chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. What was the result? Well, they listened and they repented, or as it's put in verse 41, people accepted the message. People accepted the message. 3,000. Now we have a total of, I'm not good on maths, but something like 3,120 in the kingdom of God. Here we go. See the tiny mustard seed? Well, it's now, it's now beginning to grow, isn't it? Now, note in passing, there's no mention of the 3,000 speaking in other languages. They didn't. And so we can't see the Spirit's presence here uh, with the speaking of these other languages suddenly, amazingly. But we can see his Spirit here as we see the creation of community in verse 42. So what's the effect? Well, the people accepted the message. The Spirit formed a community. The Spirit does so many wonderful things in our lives that aren't mentioned in the book of Acts. In Acts, we're really thinking about the Spirit giving us power to proclaim the word of the witnesses, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God. But he he does so many other wonderful things. Here we see him creating a community centered on God's word. The, The Spirit brings us into the triune life of God and into the lives of each other. And so the Spirit makes us together love to listen to the word of our God. And so the 3,120, verse 42, immediately enrolled in Bible college. Can you see that there? It's the apostles teaching as their set texts. The apostles took the things that they heard from Jesus and their new understanding of the Old Testament and taught it to the people. They had plenty of teaching material, which will take up um, a large part of our Bibles um, and uh, People learned, they understood, they experienced, they enjoyed fellowship. Fellowship, a, a better, uh, better understood as partnership, partnership with God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit, which brings partnership with one another who share in that same spirit. They're like family, aren't they? And just as you care for your own family, they care for each other. They share in verses 44 and 45. They meet each other's needs. Verses 42 and 46, it's the breaking of bread eating a tasty meal together. I think of delicious Israeli food, flatbread, hummus, that sort of thing. But no, I've got to see fellowship, partnership, sharing, hospitality in these verses. And there's prayers, isn't there? There's fellowship, there's prayers full of thankfulness, joy, and for God to continue his work. They keep flowing. And verse 43, there are signs and wonders, signs and wonders of the apostles, accrediting the apostles as they accredited Jesus. Make no mistake, guys, these guys are the apostles of Jesus. So the Spirit brings community. We see it in their Bible time, their partnership, their eating, their praying, their praising, and their, what are you expecting to see here? What's missing? What about 
Evangelism, where's that? What happened to going out with the gospel? These guys are staying and sharing, not going out with the gospel. Where's the walk-up evangelism? Well, verse 47, people are becoming believers every day, so something's going on, isn't it? Well, in the chapters to come, you'll see more of how evangelism worked with this community. There's your homework. But it seems like for now, for the most part, the apostles preach and the believers model Jesus' community, which is not a far cry from what the rest of the New Testament expects from us. Some of us are evangelists. Here it's the apostles. All of us are ready to evangelize, though, should God give us an opportunity. And all of us are always living godly lives before the watching world which is what this community is doing. And so some people became Christians. All people gave them favour. That's cool, isn't it? Society gave them favour. Nice. These spirit-filled Jesus believers with their sharing and caring, they're a blessing to the city. And so Jerusalem likes them being around, at least at this point. And so we leave Acts chapter 2. At the beginning of the last days, with a lovely community enjoying partnership with God and one another, welcoming the world who can repent and believe and be forgiven, saved and given the same Holy Spirit and community that these people are enjoying. And so we leave Acts chapter 2 with that kingdom of God no longer a mustard seed, but well on its way to being that tree that the birds can nest in. But before we finish not quite done, need to do a little bit of work with application. Application. There's a few things I want to draw out for you, uh, for you to really think about. And the first thing uh, is uh, that part of Peter's speech where he, he very directly tells the crowd, you killed Jesus, but God raised him. You killed him, but God raised him. Peter's speech is confrontational and condemning, but true, and true of us today. Jesus took our place, he took our sin, he took our punishment, Jesus died because of us, and so we can't distance ourselves too much from that crowd who listened to Peter in Acts 2. Our sin killed him, and in that sense, it makes sense to say that we killed him. We killed him, our sin is serious, it killed a man, it killed the God-man, but God raised him. The transaction was successful. The price was paid. The substitute was sufficient. God raised him and gave many proofs of that, by the way, as is mentioned in chapter 1. God raised him and raised him, exalted him, so that now all people from all places and all ages can repent and be forgiven. Now people from all places and, and all ages can have salvation and have the Spirit, which means it's the last day, so hurry up if you haven't returned to Jesus. This is not an eternal age of salvation. The clock is ticking. If people refuse to call on the name of the Lord, they'll be left in their sins. Jesus won't have died for them. They'll die in their sins and they'll face God's judgment. They'll be left with God's judgment at the last day and the return of the Lord and Christ Jesus. This changes everything when we think this way. It changes the way we think of ourselves and our sin. It changes the way we think of our friends and their sin. It will kill them. Yes, they're definitely lovely, kind, hardworking, cool, intelligent, witty, fashionable, ethical, athletic, beautiful, handsome. But these are the last days. We've got to see things properly. The last days coming. They need salvation. They need to call on the name of Jesus. They need to repent and be forgiven in Jesus' name. 
If there's anyone here who hasn't done it, this is the time. Right now, repent and be forgiven. That's the only thing you actually need to hear um, from Acts chapter 2. Maybe you've slept the last 20 minutes or so. Uh, Okay, wake up now. Here it is. This is the big thing for you from Acts 2. There's a warning and a plea. When you see the Spirit coming here, there's a warning and a plea. You're going to die. It might be in 50 years. It might be tonight. But that death can bring God's judgment to you or that death can be a doorway into glorious, real, new, full life. It's your choice. Please turn to Jesus and receive God's forgiveness and receive the Holy Spirit. And that's how it will happen, by the way. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 38, not chapter 2, verse 4. If you've got your Bible open, you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, the 120 had to wait for the Holy Spirit Some churches today will tell you you have to wait for the Holy Spirit. It's not true. The 120 had to wait in verse 4, but in verse 4 we're waiting. This waiting is a special situation, waiting for the last days to begin. But now that we're in the last days, for us, it's chapter 2, verse 38. Don't wait for the Holy Spirit. That's what the rest of the Bible teaches too. Acts chapter 5, verse 32 teaches that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him and so repent and believe and immediately receive the Holy Spirit. And don't expect other languages. This is a bit sad of us, this is me, um, who would love to suddenly be able to speak another language but lack the patience and the the perseverance for it. I'd love to be able to speak Mandarin, those tones. Uh, The languages in Acts chapter 2 that suddenly come on the community are a sign They're marking the progression of Jesus' mission from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the ends of the earth. We are a part of the ends of the earth stage. Our stage of mission, it already got marked, sorry. Um, In Acts chapter 10, it got marked. And so it wouldn't make sense for Jesus to make this sign happen for us today. We don't need a mark to mark another stage. It's the same stage. Mission to the ends of the earth is happening now. That's us, that's now. I could imagine, though, maybe now you're wondering, okay, if I'm not going to suddenly speak in other languages, then how can I know that I've received the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible teaches us to expect not suddenly being able to speak in other languages, but fruit, literally godliness. Galatians chapter 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which is what we see in this community that the Spirit forms in the ends of Acts 2, isn't it? with their caring and sharing. Okay, well, Jesus has died. He's risen and he's been exalted and so he's sent his spirit to us and this means it's time to go out to the nations. Chapter 1 wants us to really understand. But today, uh, we're really left with understanding it's the last days and that the last day is coming. It's time for all people to repent and be forgiven through Jesus' work for the world. It's time for people to join Jesus' community partnering in learning from the Bible, sharing, praising, and praying. So let's do it now. Let's finish with a prayer. Our God, we thank you for our Lord and Christ Jesus. Thank you for his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation. Thank you for granting us repentance and forgiveness. Thank you for the pouring out of your spirit upon us. Thank you for the power that we've received through him to take the words of the witnesses, the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. Thank you for the community your spirit creates, bringing us into your life and into the lives of one another. We're both excited and unsettled that we find ourselves in the last days. 
Such a glorious time to be alive, so wonderful that we who've called on the name of the Lord Jesus can have confidence in our salvation from your just judgment. We think of those family and friends of ours who need to know of your judgment and salvation. Please give them the good news of your gospel, if not through us, then through someone, and grant them repentance and forgiveness too. Please continue to bless our church with devotion to your word, hospitality, praying and sharing. Please give us glad and sincere hearts that praise you. Please give us the favour of all the people in Launceston. And please add to our number daily those who are being saved. And we pray it for the glory of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.